At the White House yesterday, President Clinton signed a formal letter of apology to the people of Hawaii. He was apologizing on behalf of the U.S. government for the government's involvement a hundred years ago in removing the independent Hawaiian monarchy by force. Say it in your heart. Say it when you sleep. We are not American. We will die as Hawaiians. We will never be Americans. Once, Hawaii was an independent nation recognized by foreign countries, including the United States. Then in 1893, American sugar barons, with help from U.S. Marines, illegally overthrew the Hawaiian Queen and took over. Hello everyone, and welcome to this second episode of the Energy of Empire series. I remember being around eight years old and learning all about the United States in school. We were taught that there were 50 states, but only 49 of them were on the main American continent. The island chain of Hawaii over 2,000 miles away, became the 50th and final state as late as 1959. I'm sure I didn't see anything sinister about this. America seemed great, so why wouldn't you want to be a part of it? It's where Hulk Hogan, Bart Simpson and Baywatch come from after all. As we heard in the opening news clip from 1993, however, Hawaiians weren't necessarily so easily impressed. The takeover of their country... 100 years prior, was arguably the United States' first act of overseas empire building. This all began on the night of January 14th, 1893, with a plot by sugar barons to overthrow Queen Lukalani and make Hawaii a part of the United States. To understand how we get there, however, we'll have to go back a few years into the island's history. The Hawaiian Islands were, incredibly, settled by Polynesian people sometime during the first millennium. It staggers belief that such a thing is even possible, but there they are. The islands had around a 500-year period of isolation until British explorer James Cook rocked up in 1788. Cook named them the Sandwich Islands, not because of any relationship to sandwiches, but rather in honour of his sponsor, the Earl of Sandwich. Within five years of Cook's arrival, European military technology helped a particular king conquer and unify the islands for the first time, establishing the Kingdom of Hawaii in 1795. Much like the Native Americans, the population succumbed to diseases brought by the Europeans, particularly smallpox, declining from 300,000 in the 1770s to 60,000 in the 1850s, to just 24,000 by 1920. Between 1820 and 1850, nearly 200 Christian missionaries from New England moved to the islands, which caused something of a clash in cultures, with one missionary writing the natives were exceedingly ignorant, stupid to all that is lovely, grand, and inspiring in the works of God. Low, naked, filthy, vile, and sensual, covered with every abomination, stained with blood, and black with crime. I can only assume the Hawaiians were none too fond of their new neighbours either, as the puritanical types took over and banned singing, dancing and games of all kinds. As the years passed, missionaries and their descendants sought out commercial opportunities and found Hawaii's climate conductive to the growth of sugarcane. This enterprise requires land, and lots of it. Acquiring it was complicated by the fact that Hawaiians did not hold to European-style property norms of owning land in the first place. They did not understand how a transaction could deprive them of it. In the 1840s, missionary schoolmaster turned planter Amos Starr Cook, no relation to James, 
persuaded the king to enact land reform similar to the Enclosures Acts taking place in Britain. Large tracts of communal land were divided into small parcels and sold off to sugar planters. Incidentally, Cook's company, Castle & Cook, founded with Samuel Castle, became one of the biggest sugar producers in the world and remains active to this day. The main obstacle then facing the planters were the tariffs protecting sugar growers inside the United States. Tariffs of a different kind would be a factor in the still-to-come secessionist war between the states, after which the reunited states increasingly looked outwards. The planters arranged for the US military to construct bases in Hawaii in exchange for a free trade agreement. It was in the renewal of this agreement that the US came to control the famous Pearl Harbor. The sugar industry boomed throughout the 1880s, but many disenfranchised Hawaiians were hostile to the loss of their land. Hawaii was also filling up with immigrant workers from Japan and China. The ruling class acted to sustain their power through what became known as the Bayonet Constitution, due to the threat of armed force that lay behind it. The authority of the monarch was diminished while voting was restricted to the landowning class. The boom period came to an abrupt end in 1890 when the United States dropped its sugar tariffs altogether whilst at the same time directly compensating domestic producers. The planter's puppet monarch, King Kalakaua, died in 1891, leaving his more independent-minded sister, Queen Lilikalani, to succeed him. These two factors combined to create the Hawaiian Annexation Club, with the goal of bringing the islands into the United States. And so we come round to the 14th of January 1893, when Queen Lilikalani attempted to abrogate the Bayonet Constitution and promulgate a new one. She had laid the ground by touring several islands on horseback, talking to the people about her ideas and collecting a lengthy petition in support. This new constitution would have extended suffrage by reducing property requirements for voting. Given that there were 40,000 native Hawaiians on the islands, 27,000 Asians, and just 6,000 Europeans, this was never going to be popular with the ruling class. And popular it wasn't. Founder of the Annexation Club, Lauren Thurston, organised a committee of safety to overthrow the Queen. Crucial to this effort was the presence of the USS Boston and 162 American Marines, who came ashore ostensibly to protect US citizens, but in reality to ensure the coup would be a success. With the monarchy quickly deposed, a provisional government of Hawaii was established under President Stanford B. Dole, of the later Dole Fruit family. Refreshingly tart, naturally sweet. Introducing Dole Pineapple Orange Juice. Yes, that Dole. Queen Lila refused to yield. I will read out her written statement. I, Lila by the grace of God under the constitution of the kingdom, Queen, do hereby solemnly protest against any and all acts done against myself and the constitutional government of the Hawaiian kingdom by certain persons claiming to have established a provisional government of and for this kingdom that I yield to the superior force of the United States of America, whose minister John L. Stevens has caused United States troops to land at Honolulu and declared that he would support the said provisional government. Now to avoid any collision of armed forces and perhaps the loss of life, I do this under protest, and impelled by said force, yield my authority until such time as the government of the United States shall, upon the facts being presented to it, undo the action of its representatives and reinstate me in the authority in which I claim as the constitutional sovereign of the Hawaiian Islands. 
The coup would never have been possible without the support of the American diplomat Queen Lilikalani mentions, John Stevens. Although he did not receive specific orders, he was dispatched by President Benjamin Harrison with annexation in mind. By the time the dust settled, however, anti-imperialist Grover Cleveland was in the White House and was furious about the whole affair. He declared that most Americans reject the seizure of faraway lands as not only opposed to our national policy, but as a perversion of our national mission. President Cleveland came down hard on the coup plotters, instigating an investigation into what exactly had taken place. The Blunt Report, delivered in July of 1893, claimed improper US backing for the overthrow had been responsible for its success, and concluded that the provisional government lacked popular support. Cleveland recalled Ambassador Stevens, had the military commander in Hawaii resign, and ordered the dissolution of the provisional government and the restoration of the monarchy. The provisional government simply refused. Cleveland actually went so far as to threaten an invasion of Hawaii, with two warships directing their guns toward the capital. He was, however, bluffing, and it was called. The Senate Foreign Relations Committee, composed mostly of senators in favour of annexation, then initiated their own investigation to discredit the Blunt Report. The Morgan Report muddied the waters sufficiently to move Cleveland into a recognition of the provisional government, and ultimately the Republic of Hawaii. In 1895, Hawaiian staged an armed revolution, but the effort was quickly shut down. The Queen was arrested along with the coup plotters and accused of not stopping the revolt. This allowed the government to pressure her into signing a document of abdication to save men from execution. She ended up spending two years in prison. Between 1893 and 1898, Hawaii was an oligarchical republic. The government had to wait until the Cleveland administration gave way to the presidency of the more imperialistic William McKinley. Hawaii took on another level of geostrategic importance due to the impending invasions of Guam and the Philippines, and so McKinley acted to make the islands territory of the United States. The United States had then overthrown its first foreign government overseas. It wouldn't be the last. I do wonder if Grover Cleveland had foreseen the implications of this event, that far from being a one-off misstep, it signalled the death of the Republic and the rise of the American Empire, perhaps his invasion of Hawaii wouldn't have been a mock one. Would that have turned the tide, or was America always destined to become the global empire of the 20th century? As Hawaii moved into that century, the Republic and later American governments employed similar strategies to deal with the native population as had been used with the Native Americans. They used the schooling system to eradicate their culture, insisting all lessons would be carried out only in English. It's when the U.S. took over our education. There, it went. they took our language. They took our land. They took our identity. And they nearly succeeded in taking our will to live. In 1920, to further eradicate their culture, it was declared that to be considered Native Hawaiian, a person must have at least 50% Native blood. One thirty-second of drop is still Hawaiian. But they say, oh, according to their law, you have to have 50%. That's bullhead. Yeah. They can get lost. 
we don't need them coming over here and telling us what to do and what not to do. So, as far as blood quantum is concerned, I'd say they committed genocide. Returning to the point where we started, Bill Clinton's apology came with no promise of returning the islands or any form of land compensation. Hawaii remains geostrategically essential to the US military, which is the largest aspect of the Hawaiian economy as the army uses the varied terrain as a training ground. This leads to the serious contamination of hundreds of sites. And this is a common theme of US imperial expansion, as we'll see in Guam and when we look at Puerto Rico. There was an Hawaiian cultural renaissance beginning in the 1960s, around the same time the American Indian movement was marching on Washington DC and retaking Wounded Knee. There are now land rights and secessionist movements in Hawaii, and I will hand the last word to Henry Noah of the lawful Hawaiian government. My name is Henry Noah. Okay, I'm the elected prime minister for the reinstated lawful Hawaiian government. The lawful Hawaiian government was formed March 13, 1999, and it actually reinstated the former government offices that was in existence prior to January 17, 1893, the day that we got overthrown, our government was overthrown. So what has happened since that day till now is that basically there was actions taken by the, by the conspirators who are the United States government to try to justify or even validate their actual existence here and their authority that they exercise here in Hawaii. We realize that we would have to be able to get our people yeah, to unite under this government. So we've done a lot of educational programs to get these, to get our own people to understand. Listen, the government still exists. It, it, it's been in abeyance. It's, it's been absent all these years. All we needed to do was put it back, bring back the government, which is what we are able to accomplish. The second thing that we educate our people to is now we need to put power to the government. And the only way that can happen is if we as a people participate in that government and begin to, de to build the government, the functional bodies of that government, the executive, the legislative, the judicial branches, all of the departments that come to function a government has to be, re has to be reset, of which we have actually accomplished those things. Thank you for listening. In this episode, I've mostly been drawing on Stephen Kinzer's book, Overthrow, America's Century of Regime Change, which will be a bit of a backbone for at least the early part of this series. I've also referenced the documentary film, Hawaii, the Stolen Paradise. Next time, we'll be looking at the big issue of the 1890s, the event that really launched the US empire, the war with Spain and invasion of Cuba and the Philippines. Remember all the stolen lands, this Hawaiian Superman is wanting it back. Give back the land, Captain America. 
Give back the like Captain America, pretty Give back the like Captain America, please. Give back the land. Governed by your policies, all we want is sovereignty. It's so hard to pay rent. This is for the antis sleeping under palm trees and living in tents. It's a shame Hawaiians are moving away. The ocean for promotion, better wages. I think it's safe to say that Hawaii Nate is doing better in Nevada, Las Vegas. Captain America don't mean a sweatshirt, but too much man. Remember all the stolen lands, this Hawaiian Superman is taking it back. Taking back the land, Captain America, now. Taking back the land, Captain America.